This content is for institutional investors and information purposes only. It does not contain investment, financial, legal tax or any other advice and should not be relied upon for this purpose. The materials are not tailored to your particular, personal and or financial position. If you require advice based on your specific circumstances, you should contact a professional advisor. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers as of the date of publication, are subject to change without notice and do not necessarily reflect Mercer's opinions. So net zero, are we getting it right? Um, that's the nice light question we want to cover in this conversation. Um, why are we asking it? Well, I guess because we were starting to have concerns that the answer to that question might be no, like collectively we might not be getting net zero right. And this is difficult. I mean, people generally tend to act with the best intentions when we're talking about investments. But I think, you know, this is a really complex, fast moving and in some cases actually really emotive issue we sort of tend to find for a lot of our our clients. So to cut to the chase, I think I or we at Mercer, we're really just starting to worry that a focus on achieving net zero in a set timescale was sort of leading to some divestment and exclusion decisions, which, although they might help an individual asset owner to be able to report net zero, it probably wasn't going to help the world to get to net zero, which is what we want if you agree with our research findings that a one and a half degree world will produce better investment outcomes for everybody. Now, I'm Joe Holden. I'm head of investment research at Mercer. I'm really pleased to be joined by Rachel Elwell, who's the chief exec at Border to Coast. So that's one of the local government pension scheme asset pools in the UK. And Rachel manages around about 35 billion plus for, for its partner funds. And Rich Dell, who is global head of our equity boutique at Mercer. Now, Rachel, um, it's clear that this is an issue that's very close to your organization's heart. And, and Rich, like we co-authored our most recent paper. So I know that you've both got a lot to say on this. So I guess we'll just get started. Rich, I might just turn to you first, if that's okay. I mean, there were several reasons for us to wanting to wanting to take a step back and maybe do a refresh on on net zero. Can you maybe kick us off by just talking about what you were seeing from asset managers and how that was starting to shape your thinking? Yeah, and and, and as you said, this is a really complex issue, and and we were running into challenges. And Joe, you and I have talked about this about how we prioritise our research. So, so the main role that that I have and my team has is identifying best in class investment strategies for our clients to to use in building um, building equity portfolios. We were looking at how we prioritise our time and wanting to focus increasingly on finding strategies that help clients solve the net zero conundrum. And it was not easy working out exactly what that should be. I mean, we engaged in a programme of speaking to a number of uh, mid and large side asset managers to understand what they were doing across their organisations to address net zero. And it became very clear to us that the, the, the range of approaches asset managers were taking were, were incredibly broad. I mean, you know, on, on, on one hand, some people were identifying a small number of uh, strategies that they felt um, achieved a net zero outcome, largely through exclusions, divestment of portfolio construction. And on the other hand, we were speaking to asset managers who were having firm-wide initiatives built around engagement programs and um, identifying companies that, that had science-based targets in place to satisfy their net zero commitments. Now, those those were two very different solutions. So, so you know, the conversation we've had, you and I've had, we've had at Mercer is is kind of what is the approach that we should be taking to clients, helping clients with to help them solve their net zero 
commitments. And as I said, it's, it's not even having done that work, it's not a straightforward solution. But I do think we've kind of come to a position where there are some um, guiding principles we can help uh, asset owners with and, and speak to asset managers about about how how we think they can they can best um, best help achieve what is a, a really challenging topic. Yeah, I mean, Rachel, does it, like, how does that chime with you? I mean, I, you know, be interested on your views in terms of sort of the asset managers that you've engaged with. But I guess sort of also, I made the point in the intro that that sort of our reasons for wanting to do this sort of almost clarification on on net zero was because we were worried that the pressure to achieve net zero really quickly was sort of affecting asset owner behaviour. Now you are a large asset owner, Rachel, but you also serve a number of kind of mid-sized pension funds. So I, I, I suspect you've got quite a unique perspective on this and just sort of wonder if you could talk us through sort of how this all works from your perspective in terms of sort of alignment, what you're doing, sort of how, how you'll get there. Some really big questions there, Joe. <laughs> uh, and as you said, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, so I think the first thing is what I've seen over the last five years is moving from a lot of discussion about why should we do this? Um, and I think that has been really clarified or uh, a lot more we're seeing things actually in the world out there. It's less about well, what's the data suggest we might do and we're seeing the real geographical implications of it. Um, so moving from the why, which has been a lot of the discussion actually into the how, and I think that's when some of the points that Rich was raising become really important because uh, this is not something that is easy to do. There are so many things we do not know yet. And from an investment perspective, that, that makes it quite tricky because if you're, especially for the local government pension scheme, which is still open, its, uh, it's liabilities stretch way into the next century. If we can't think about um, what the implications for uh, the the real world will be. We certainly can't invest to make sure that there's enough money for people to have their pensions paid in that time frame. So uh, I think being able to set out the how we think about climate change enables us then to understand what risks we're facing when we're making those long-term investment decisions. It also helps us to understand what are the things that we do not know yet as an industry and hopefully use our collective voice to be able to influence those things. Um, and, uh, you know, help the pension funds who make up our partner funds, who, who are actually the asset owners making strategic decisions to think about how they communicate with their members about how those risks are being managed so it is um this is not from my perspective this has not got a simple solution and it's one of those where you make the decision you know I think a lot of people myself included much prefer to step out on a journey when we know exactly where we're going and how we're going to get there but this is one of those where you have to start building the road that you're going to walk on step by step because that road isn't there yet and this, sorry, just to interject, there's some interesting kind of observations there, particularly about the change over the last five years, because I'd agree there's been a, there has been a shift over the last five years. I mean, not everyone's in the same place, but the conversation has moved on. But one of the most interesting shifts has been the, the, the kind of moving the conversation from what is going on in my portfolio to what is going on in the real world. And that that is, I think that's genuinely encouraging because there's a there, there's an increasing recognition from, from all spectrums across the investment spectrum, you know, 
clearly companies, but asset owners, asset managers and consultants like us. But if we want to be part of a solution, it only has an impact if you change what's going on in the real world. You know, what, what, what's happening with the, the climate, what happen, what's happening with greenhouse gas emissions and how that impacts the, the world's path to net zero. Mm-hmm. I think that's right, Rich. Just to add on, add on to that. It's really important we think about both the risks and the opportunities from an investment perspective, which really relate to um, this is not just about stopping investing in or relying on fossil fuels. This is about a fundamental shift in how society works and therefore um, both working with those companies who are currently very reliant on fossil fuels for their business plans and, and, and business models, but also um, providing the capital required to enable us to shift how we get our energy or how we transport things or how we manufacture things. Um, so thinking about both of those aspects is really important. And even, even sorry, Jay, <laughs> uh, even, even that creates tensions, right? So we've been doing a lot of work thinking about opportunities and, and green metals and mining, I think, is a good example of of an area where there is a great opportunity, you know, lots of the rare metals that are needed to, whether it's produce batteries, um, develop um, develop solar panels, uh, produce wind farms, require require what's considered dirty activity. So that creates this tension, again, between, you know, what's actually in my portfolio and, and the carbon intensity of that portfolio and actually what's being produced and useful for the, um, for the kind of long-term transition that the world needs to a sustainable energy platform. I mean, I guess I'm just minded, you know, you've both talked a lot about complexity. I also picked up on the point that Rachel made around sort of, you know, you use the term risks and risk management a lot. And I think, you know, one of the issues that we have, we serve a lot of different types of clients in a lot of different countries across the world. And, you know, everyone's at a different point on this journey. And I think, you know, on a personal level, I think sort of the risk management piece is the one that is most helpful for to, to talk about because, you know, I, I would like us to be in a position whereby, you know, you think about climate risks as you would any other risk in your portfolio. And I think some people are there and some people are, are, are kind of not there. And I think sort of, you know, it's it's a path that we need to tread in terms of sort of, you know, convincing you sort of almost feel uncomfortable saying convincing but sort of talking to those who still feel as though sort of climate is almost a a, an ethical issue or a personal choice or something that's thematic and I think sort of trying to separate the risk management angle the integration of risks into sort of your portfolio versus making sort of specific choices either on impact or, or sort of sustainability themed, I think, again, sort of is something that people find really complicated to get their heads around. I mean, for, for all the reasons that, that that Rich sort of, Rich described. There's, there's two ways of thinking about that. Um, one is whether you, whether you can really get your head around the physical aspect. So do you understand for the portfolio companies that you're holding or that you'd like to invest in, how could the physical ramifications of climate change impact them. And that um, there's some really good uh, research that's being done in academics and in, in larger asset managers taking postcodes and thinking about what does this look like in certain scenarios. Um, so that, that's one risk. The other risk that's harder to get one's head around is the impact on capital flows and the capital markets of sentiment around transition risk. And what that means for uh, investment performance for those companies who could have 
um, significant exposure to uh, either because they're viewed as not good, which possibly is a more ethical question, or because they've actually got significant business risks as a result of this. And that, unfortunately, is that's probably a shorter term issue because when sentiment shifts, that can massively change how capital flows. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that um, those who are making long-term investment decisions are able to think about both of those and not just think, oh, this is an issue that is going to be resolved in 40 years' time, so I don't need to think about it. Actually, no, you you do. And even if you are... um, an, an asset owner whose liabilities are only going to be around for another 20, 30 years, you still have to think about it. And just to add one more risk that gets even, I, I think it's probably even shorter term, because I agree, agree sentiments, kind of short term, physical impact will be slightly longer term. Regulatory regulatory risk is is probably you know, much more immediate, right? I mean, you're talking about, in, in all jurisdictions, governments thinking about how they meet their climate commitments and that's going to come out in various different ways whether it's carbon pricing or, or some other um, regulatory action that's coming through and that's going to impact asset prices and it's you know i, I agree with you i think it's beholden on, on all um asset managers um allocators of capital to to think about to integrate those risks into their decision making framework which I, I think by and large we're in a position where a lot of people are doing that it feels like most mm-hmm. most asset managers now understand the the, the need to incorporate kind of these non-financial risks into the way they think about capital allocation. Just thinking about that, Rachel, I mean, so we mentioned the fact that you, you know, you've got a, a number 11, I think, funds that sit under your organisation that you sort of manage money for. How how did your process of agreeing your net zero implementation plan, like how did that work in terms of getting 12, sorry, 11 sort of pretty diverse funds um, together to agree sort of what you would do collectively um, with the funds that you you manage for them? Uh, So it started a long time ago. Uh, And I think you talked about there being asset managers and asset owners who are in very different places. Mm -hmm. I think the LGPS has always been very conscious of this topic. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I wasn't starting from a group of uh, pension funds who were not who were very extreme mm-hmm. in how far away they were from each other, but we uh, we started um, almost as soon as Border to Coast was set up. So we went live in 2018, um, talking to our partner funds about common responsible investment policy, common approach to climate change. Um, we very much come from a basis of this is a material financial risk. So this was not about making ethical decisions. It was about how do we manage this um, this risk? Uh, we we then did a lot of education. So hearing from others around the industry, whether that was asset managers or consultancies or um, people who were uh, other asset owners who had been thinking about this. So there's, there was trying to understand what was ha- going on in the market and what did good look like and what sorts of things should we be thinking about and then we set a very clear strategy about what were the things that were important so how could we build out the tools um so how could we make sure we were building up the data that we needed to be able to understand the risks and make investment decisions understand where the gaps were um how could we work with our external managers to make sure we were holding them to account but also we manage money internally ourselves so how could we make sure we were educating the portfolio managers about how to deal with this Mm -hmm. how we were reporting 
how we were going to let our partner funds understand um, what it was we were actually doing. And then uh, just a, a series of um, workshops and training sessions, uh, getting feedback from our partner funds about what was important to them. Uh, it was a, it's a lot of work from everybody, uh, uh, you know, my, my, myself and my team, but also the officers and the pensions mm-hmm. committees at each of those partner funds to make sure that we were understanding where everybody was. Um, that does not mean to say that uh, everybody thinks exactly the same. So we do have um, some partner funds who have more ambitious targets than the one that we've got, which is 25th net zero uh, by 2050 or sooner if we can. Um, but it's important to recognise, and I know we, we talk a lot about asset managers and they absolutely have an important role to play, but the asset owners in how they think about their strategy um, have some difficult decisions to make as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that might mean you can still hold different views about how quickly you want to get there whilst having a common approach to working with your asset manager. Just kind of picking up on that point around different views. I mean, your your implementation plan, it talks about asset class alignment as one of your pillars. I'd be interested to just talk a little bit about that in terms of what that means. And I, I guess I'm particularly interested because we did have a lot of debate about this internally when we were putting our paper together. So, for example, some of us had a concern about asset class alignment being interpreted as maybe avoiding particular asset classes or regions even that might be more carbon intensive. So I'd be really interested in your thoughts on, on that. So we start from the basis that we want we have said we want to be net zero by 2050. Mm-hmm. That does not mean being net zero now. And, and I think this is really important because for some of the reasons we talked about in terms of um, being able to understand and, and get capital into things that are needed to help the transition, but also uh, something that's very close to my heart is this idea of a just transition. Mm-hmm. So having, um, having come from uh, the mining area of West Yorkshire as a, as a child and seeing firsthand what can happen if you try and make a big shift without understanding the impact on society. Um, This is something that is really important across the world. But I think just to pick up on the point you made about um, regions, we all know that the emerging markets are an area that um, needs support if we are as a world going to hit net zero. And that means that uh, from a policymaker perspective, it's really important we understand how the developed world supports the emerging markets in making that transition. From an asset owner perspective, it means really understanding that there are opportunities to provide capital to help with that transition, but your um, your map or your path to net zero, if you want to work it, uh, support or invest in emerging markets, is not going to be straight line from here down to 2050, because it's quite likely that the reliance on um, fossil fuels in their economies will take longer to work through so um, for me it's about making sure you we are collectively clear that the countries regions sectors companies that we choose to invest in um, are developing plans that help them get to net zero in the right time frame so that for me asset class alignment is about understanding what their map to get there is it's not saying that here and now 
they are 100% aligned. It's it may well be, and we do we've set different targets for how aligned we want people to be over the coming decade with the idea that by 2040 we're investing in things that are aligned i.e they have a very clear um and based in scientific fact not just everyone's dreams path to get to net zero yeah perfect thanks rachel so i mean it's something we've talked a lot about and i guess you know one of the it, it it's good to hear you talk about the just transition because i think Going back to that sort of point that, you know, and talking about it in sort of very factual sort of terms in terms of sort of the consequences, because I think sort of, again, when I talked about the fact that we see lots of asset owners with lots of different approaches to this and that blurring between almost sort of ethical or, you know, sort of moving on a bit to sort of responsible versus sort of the scientific fact. And I think sort of some would have a view that you're either one or the other. And actually, I think the way you talked about that very much showed that how there's a, a sort of a, a good alignment between those those two particular two particular aims. Okay, so maybe I'll just sort of change tact a little bit um, for a, a second, but also just kind of referring back to your your plan. And look, I mean, Rich, just to kind of bring you in for a second, maybe on this, because I'm interested in your views in, in terms of what we see from asset managers. Engagement sort of features in border to coast plan, but it's also very key to our approach to, to net zero. Now, you know, that's something that's not straightforward if you're a smaller asset owner, particularly kind of using pooled funds. And I think, you know, Rachel, I know your team spend a significant of time on amount of time on engagement. But Rich, like how seriously or pragmatically are asset managers helping to sort of solve that engagement problem for clients? And I guess maybe what I'm trying to get to there is how how much are they listening to and helping their clients with this? rather than sort of, you know, how, how good a job are they doing at engaging with investee companies? Like, how are they dealing with sort of the piece in, in, in the middle? So you, you mean to be the reporting component and the transparency, I think? I think so. And yeah. I, think sort of, I guess sort of, you know, from a consulting perspective, you know, I mean, sort of the way that we used to sort of, you know, asset owners used to deal with this from an engagement perspective, which you used to see it in sort of people's statement of investment principles in the UK, that it was sort of, you know, we, we defer this responsibility to asset managers. And I think there's kind of a recognition that that's not quite good enough anymore. Yep. But it's difficult to actually sort of do much if you're a smaller asset owner who relies on pooled funds and what are managers doing to sort of make sure that they are helping um, yeah. smaller asset owners through that. No, absolutely. So a couple of things. Firstly, like, Absolutely, I think engagement is is front and center of how many asset asset owners that we're working with are thinking about um, uh, ensuring that, that, that we, we have a path towards a just mm-hmm. transition. I mean, when we wrote when we wrote the paper on on net zero and providing advice, clearly measurements, understanding your exposures, um, having sensible processes in place for reporting those exposures is is key. But the two key principles to to transitioning is, is one making sure you're having a real world impact and two that that is most likely achieved through engagement so um so a lot of the focus that we've been doing on working with asset managers and that we're encouraging asset owners to 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 work with asset managers on is ensuring that their processes and policies and approaches to engagement are transparent that there is firm wide 
um, understanding of what what an asset management organisation is trying to achieve through engagement, um, that there is clear voting policies and that asset managers are able to provide evidence of those engagement and voting policies and communicate those to asset um, their, their asset owners and their clients. And I think there's been a lot of progress that we've seen in this space. Like we're clearly not there. And I think every asset manager is moving in a different direction. I mean, at the start, I did to some of these conversations we've um, we've had with asset managers, and, and it's very clear some some organisations have put an awful lot of thought and effort into both how they set up these engagement programs, what they're trying to achieve, what what they got, what they're trying to target through engagement, how they me- measure engagement, and how they report that to their their end clients. And I think for those asset managers, they're going to be in a in a, in a, in a fantastic position to to work with kind of aligned asset owners but there are there are asset managers who i think are perhaps not quite there yet and for for an asset owner you know they're you know even if they're small even if they're in pooled funds their key power their key ability to impact change is how they select their partner firms that they work with um, and, and you know there are you know, as i said there is a there is an increasing choice of outcomes from asset managers and and asset owners you know one of their key responsibilities is to agree you know Rachel and her team have done a great job. You know, they're a large organization. They have a lot more power and control and they've done a lot of detailed work. But even the smaller firms have a kind of responsibility and an, and an ability to affect change through the decisions they make in uh, firstly set, setting up a transition plan and then looking at how they partner with firms to help implement it. Rachel, I mean, like just hearing Rich talk there about sort of what we might expect of asset managers, but also sort of the different types of work that's going on. Like, I know you have rightly got very high expectations of your managers, but also I know you've spoken about sort of the wider industry when it comes to data provision, but also more broadly sort of engagement. I mean, does that sort of as well, I'm a bit very interested in your views on that in terms of sort of what we need to do, but I mean, I guess what we need to do collectively and that perhaps begs a, a slightly wider question around collaboration or sort of any thoughts on, on that? Uh, I think the only way that as a society we are going to affect the change that we need to around climate change is if we're all working together and all pulling in the same direction and that, as we talked right at the beginning I have seen a shift in that so and we are seeing some fantastic work from um, you know organizations like climate action 100 um the uh, the transition pathway initiative that's been led by the church of england that there's some really good examples of where uh, asset owners asset managers regulators are coming together and and saying look this is the direction of travel um i i, I would say i've still got some bugbears about it would be great if the regulators would talk to each other um for us particularly, we we probably have three different sets of regulation that all require something just ever so slightly different. And I think if we're not careful, uh, we spend our time working out how to report what we've been doing and not actually doing. Mm. So I, I think there's, a, the, there's an understandable, we're in the stage of diagnosis. And as a result, what we're, everyone is trying to do is to get everybody to shine a light on what is actually there. I think over the next few years, it's going to be very important that we move from diagnosis to action. And that requires us to be thinking about how do we collectively um, help our investment portfolios or the issuers of those to understand what it is we actually need, because otherwise they are spending huge amounts of time 
trying to report on stuff rather than managing the risk. So from an invest a company perspective, I think it's really important we get clarity on that. But it's also very important that they then provide the data that we need. Um, we need some clarity from regulators in, in a similar vein. We really need governments to be thinking about um, what is the path to net zero for each of their uh, countries and, and how do we um, get the policy incentives right to actually facilitate that. And, and then from an asset owner, asset manager perspective, there is the engaging in those and sharing best practice. And then there's also the capital deployment. But bringing all of that together, uh, I think as a larger asset owner, we have a really uh, important role to play in helping to facilitate that. But I think uh, Rich is absolutely right. For smaller asset owners, it's just really important that you are holding your managers to account and, and trying to influence uh, what they're doing and how they are acting on your behalf uh, in some of those areas that I've just highlighted. Just to kind of push Rachel's point a bit more, I mean, talking about large asset managers, I, like I, and this is a bit out of my area of competence, so apologies, but I, I think engagement with regulators and engagement with governments has to be a key part of the problem, a solution, right? I mean, there's only, you know, it, change will come in part from those decision makers who set the framework that we all operate within. And there is a, there is a, I mean, what do you call it, a responsibility or an opportunity for, for large players in that field? And, you know, we're probably both in, in that camp to, to, you know, engage with these organisations and, and try and get kind of some kind of unity and clarity around the frameworks that we, we operate in. Uh, 100%. And I think it's also where bodies such as the Investment Association or the PLSA in the UK, which are sort of trade associations, also can help to have that influence on policy. Uh, it, it's, um, as I say, it's just very important that over the next few years, we have kind of got through the diagnosis phase and we're really moving into the action phase. It kind of feels like it would be very remiss of me not to mention the Investment Consultant Sustainability Working Group. So if you don't mind me kind of giving a plug there, because that's clearly what we're trying to do sort of in that organisation too. But um, yeah, I mean, look, guys, it feels like we've covered a lot of ground. Um, if I was to, you know, we've said sort of several times as well, that this is a really complex area. Like it's not, it's not easy, is it? But if I was going to summarise or ask you to summarise, like what's your main message to people that are listening to the podcast and maybe kind of, what would your advice be to asset managers or, or asset owners? Can we go first? I can. I can well. Uh, so, so I, I think the, the key message to, to to asset owners to start with is that there is a there is going to be an impact on asset prices globally. There's an, going to be impacts in the world from from climate change, and having a clear process of measuring your exposure and setting in place transition plans is critical. And, and our two key principles for that are one to focus on on how you can impact real world outcomes. There's no benefit in just focusing what happens in your portfolio. And secondly, that engagement is a um, it, it is a key part of that. And, and for asset managers, I, I really think this is about having clear, firm-wide uh, policies and plans in place to help asset owners understand what you're trying to achieve because asset owners want to work with asset managers and they need to understand what the asset manager is, is trying to achieve and some people are getting that right and and some I think there's still a little bit of work to do. Uh, all of that that Rich just said <laughs> and uh, I, I think don't worry about uh, stepping into this sometimes it's really important to step into the unknown so that you can actually begin the journey and um, there are 
people who are already on that. And one thing I would say about whether it's the local government pension scheme or asset owners or even the asset management industry, um, it is an incredibly supportive place to be. So, uh, you know, phone a friend and see what they're up to, um, but just add your voice to the change that we need to make. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's great. And I think if I was going to add one, it was almost it, it It came to me when you were talking about sort of the, the data issues and the regulators and the sort of the, the onerous sort of list of tasks that you sometimes sort of have to get through. And I think it would be, yeah, just see if you can take a step back and, and think about objectives. You know, I mean, right back to that point we made at the beginning, do you want your portfolio to get to net zero? Or do you want to support the transition so that the world gets to net zero and we get the better sort of collective um, outcomes? You know, so are we reporting an absolute number or are we sort of trying to show what's changing within within your portfolio? Um, I guess is sort of how I'm, I'm thinking about it. Listen, guys, thank you for those tips and, and sort of all of the things that you've sort of added um, during the sort of the, the half an hour or so we, we've had together. Um, thank you to all our listeners for joining us too. Um, just to sort of point out, we talked a bit about um, the Borders to Coast Implementation Plan. You can find that document on their website. Um, it is well worth a read. Um, and as always, the paper that we mentioned, um, the sort of the, the Mercer Net Zero Refresh, you can find that along with a whole host of papers actually from other organisations on this topic on the Mercer Insight community. Now, if you like what you've heard today, um, please do subscribe to the podcast series, but also leave us a review. Um, We would very much appreciate that. Um, And thank you for listening.